This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Welcome to Roar to Win. This is Michelle Nagel, and we are talking today with Elisa James, who is a, a author, singer, actor, speaker, presenter, and a holistic voice coach. Elisa began her performance career at 12 in Australia as a cast member of Johnny Young Talent School's performance troupe. They sang, acted, and performed all over Sydney in theater shows, on cruise ships, on TV shows, in feature films, in Westfield Shopping Center main stage shows. Elisa became a full-time actor, singer, and entertainer at 15 years old when she was cast in her first big touring production with Brutus International as a singer-dancer-acrobat, closely followed at 16 by a 12-month contract with Barnum Australian Tour as a trapeze artist, dancer, and singer doing eight shows a week. Years of touring followed with pantomime, cabaret, theater, show bands, and musical theater shows. As an actor, Elisa appeared in TV commercials, TV films from the age of 11 years old. And she's, I can just go on and on and on. She's a really amazing lady, and I'm looking forward to having her share all of her brilliance and tell us about how she has learned how to use resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness in her life. So welcome, Elisa. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. I really, I, I apologize for not reading everything on of your, on your um, bio, <laughs> but it's just That's okay. an amazing, amazing, amazing life. I mean, something that that, you know, when people want to say that they want to run away and join the circus, you did. <laughs> so. I did. Absolutely. I have, I've had one of those crazy lives that sometimes I look back and I think, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> I did that. <laughs> uh, it's that's... just the fact that I've never had a plan B, you know, so that led me on a particular path in life, which I have no regrets on. That is really, really wonderful. So uh, you have just returned from an Australian tour of Menopause the Musical, playing the soap star. So I'm really excited to hear of, about what you have done. So you've also got, uh, this book is so cute, it's A Butterfly Called Happiness, which is an inspirational old-fashioned fairy tale book for children about a pixie's struggle of finding happiness. So how did you write that one? Mm, that that's a really interesting story um and just to give you a little back story about that because you mentioned optimism is one of your words is is a very important word in this podcast and for me that's been always a huge struggle i i sort of was born one of these children that were depressed and thinking the worst all the time and i don't know why Maybe you were born into the world because of a family or your genetics or whatever. But anyway, I was, I was sort of caught up in the fantasy world that let me away, led me away from that. So that's why I loved my books and my, my movies and my, my dolls and I could live in this other fantasy that wasn't my reality of being, you know, anxious and depressed and, and down all the time. And, you know, this went on and on through life and I had my ups and downs. And, and then on a cruise ship when I was... Um, I think about 36 at the time, my son had just left home because I had a son very early in life and he'd moved out and he'd gone off on his merry way looking for his way in the world. 
and I was on a cruise ship in the most beautiful place in the entire world, Tahiti, parked in Bora Bora, where everybody dreams about going to Bora Bora and Morea. And it's just stunning and waking up to this amazing life every single day, singing for a living, which is, you know, what I really wanted to do always, just entertain for a living. And yet I couldn't throw off this funk of poor me, woe is me, my life is crap, blah, blah, blah. It just went on and on in my brain. And it was just awful until I was at the gym one day trying to pull myself out. And I had all my affirmations and nothing was working and I was at the gym and I was doing my exercises and stuff like I did every morning. And this lady walked in and she said, oh, you're the singer, aren't you? And she said, it must be, it must bring you so much joy to be able to sing so beautifully every day and make so many people happy. And that, I just got goosebumps because I remember that moment so clearly because it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was thinking, holy moly, I'm focusing my entire life on all the stuff that I don't like. And so what do you get more of? You get more of what you don't like because you keep focusing on that over and over and over again. And then I realized she's right. I am not being grateful for what I have and, and all this stuff started going through my brain. And so the whole day I was in this daze of thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? Where am I going? But just sort of stuck in a daze and not being able to switch it or flip it or whatever. Anyway, that night I go to sleep. I pull my neck out so badly somehow in the middle of the night that I can't move. So the next morning I'm waking up thinking, oh my God, I can't move. I need ice or whatever. I'm going to be stuck here for a couple of days because I, I literally can't move. And then I had this bubbling up of this idea and I knew it was something that I had to write because I write songs, I write poetry. I've always written something, but never a book, right? So I quickly grabbed next to my bed a pen and paper and I was lying in a bunk. They hadn't given us out a nice bed yet. So I was lying in the bunk like this with my pad and paper above my head, leaning <laughs> it on the underside of the upper bunk so I didn't move my neck at all and I didn't have to sit up. Mm -hmm. and then wrote as fast as I could and all this stuff just gushed out and I thought what the hell was that and I when I when I got up I think it was a day later or, or whatever and read it through with all this mishmash writing that you could barely read it turned out to be this story about a pixie desperately looking for happiness and mm -hmm. happiness was the butterfly and mm -hmm. of course it's a metaphor for finding your own happiness and the interesting thing for me was that years later, I found out about this other guy who talked about that and has, the, you know, there's this whole movement around finding happiness within. And blah, but I'd never heard of that. I'd never read the other book or heard of this other guy, which was quite interesting. I put the quote on the back of my book eventually. And then I, I sent it to my mom and I said, I think I might have written a children's book, but I'm not quite sure what it is. Can you have it a read and tell me what you think? <laughs> As in the old-fashioned style, and it came out like one of my favourite writers, Enid Blatton, mm -hmm. and I knew the second that Pickles the Pixie was born from my brain or from where, wherever he came, that he lived in this particular house in the countryside in England, and I had the exact house in my mind, and my mum had painted that little house and put it on a wooden stand on the piano when I was about seven and every day when I was sitting there doing my scales, practicing, I would look at this little pixie's house. Uh -huh. And she didn't have a pixie in the, the picture. It was just a house. But I said to my mum, 
okay, the pixie lives in that house. It sits on the piano. I know that he lives there. Can you design all the rest of the drawings for the book? So it became a mother-daughter project and it sort of just morphed from there. And I learned a lesson that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really, really, really love that story. Uh, it, how your perspective shifted from something somebody said about she looks at your life about how much joy that you bring people and you were looking about your, at your life about all the things you didn't have. So that's, yeah. yeah, and that's what we do. We have a tendency to be inside our own skin looking at how miserable our life is and we don't see all the wonderful things that we do. So thank you very much yeah. for sharing that. So, yeah. so how did you overcome all of your social anxiety and lack of confidence? Aside from hiding, how else did you overcome it? You know, and I did a lot of hiding. I think that that's my sort of go-to is, is back in the cave, you know, where it's safe and uh -huh. quiet because I am a shy person naturally. That, that's the way I am. But I think performing really saved my life. Performing, a combination of, let's say, performing, forcing myself to get out on stage and face my fears regardless of how I felt feel the fear and do it anyway is my motto. Uh -huh. Number two is, is constant personal growth, constantly signing up for things, constantly going to events, constantly looking for that. How do I get to the next level? How do I put myself out there and grow more authentically from the inside out and looking at all my stuff? Mm -hmm. And the third thing is studying in a, in a formal setting so that forces me again to do more growth but in a structured way where I have to be accountable and show up and hand something in so that I get marked on. And to me, you know, that was something that I dropped the ball on very much as a young person. I was one of those kids and teens and in my 20s who would start, you know, one of those crocheted rugs. Uh-huh. Do you remember those with the little hook? Yes. I don't know if you had them, but tiny little pieces of wool and you pull them through the, the loopy thing on, on the... Yeah, hook the, latch. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah the, the latch thing. And I, I got, you know, a, a fourth of the way through or a quarter of the way through or, you know, a halfway through and then the rug would sit there for 10 years. I'm sure that everybody can relate to that. We probably all have unfinished <laughs> projects in our closet somewhere. <laughs> so. And, you know, crochets, the things. And, you know, so th that was my pattern of never finishing anything. So I started to believe as a 20-something that I could never finish anything, that oh, I wasn't responsible in inverted commas, that I couldn't show up and really be the person that I wanted to be. And so I needed to designed things in my life where I could show up and I could teach myself how to be accountable and teach myself that I could actually do that. So it started out with, you know, doing a gymnastics certificate and having accreditation to teach that. And then I did a accreditation in aerobics instructing and, and teaching and planning and running a full cl floor class, mm -hmm. you know, Jane Bonda style. That's what I did. And then, you know, from there, it, it just went on, got bigger and bigger and bigger. So eventually, at the age of 35, I, I went back to school seriously and got my first bachelor's degree and then a master's degree and then another master's degree after that. So I just, I had to teach myself how to really be structured and more accountable to my actions. And I think all of that really helped bring me out of my shell eventually. Mm -hmm. But being on stage, that does it too. When you have a dream regardless of what that dream is, to, to share your story of some sort 
to be a speaker, to be an author, to be a business coach or a leader, we eventually need to stand on stage or be on a podcast or be on video. We just have to be to bring our business forward these days. So I had to get over myself. I didn't have a choice. If I really wanted to do that and I had that drive, I had to stand there shaking in my boots, voice shaking, hands shaking, sweating profusely, thinking I was going to die. But I had to go through all that to get through the fear itself. And it took a long time for me because I'm not an outgoing person. But I eventually got there. Mm-hmm. And that's really amazing, actually, that your, your natural in proclivity, your natural um, intuition, no, that's not the right word, um, the way you were, anyway, your natural way to be, state of being was that you were shy, introverted, um, very anxious, and yet you had this dream that you wanted to share things with people. Do you have any idea where that came from? Mm. I don't know. I, look, if you believe in past lives, I've, you know, I had some direction that it could have been very well, very well carried over from a past life. And I've been told by psychics that I was an entertainer in my past life. And that was cut off very shortly, you know, in the middle of a, a really successful career. And so that sort of carried through to the next life, whether you believe that or not, that, I mean, that's fine. I sort of feel that makes sense for me because it, It was one of those things that it was always there. It was something that I could never ignore from the the youngest that I could possibly remember, three or four, building stages in my playroom and and making my backstage area where I could do my makeup and then come out and do a show. And and even though I was shy, I would do it by myself, you know, or with my friends where I felt safe. Mm -hmm. And then we'd put on this little show and... And if I had a group of people with me, it would give me the, the confidence to be able to stand on that stage as the group, you know, performing something. But secretly, I was always the director and the producer and the choreographer. And, you know, <laughs> so I would be the one behind the whole thing, bossing mm-hmm. everybody around, telling them what to do. But I'd need to stand there with everybody else just to give me that little bit of confidence. But, you know, that's, that's how I grew up, just always wanting to to do that it was weird Mm -hmm. so when you finally did do it and you became became a performer how did you uh, what principles did you find that helped you the most to be able to be as successful as you have been uh i would like to use the word resilience mostly for that and to me that comes in with pure stubbornness to not give up Uh and when you really think about it I always called it persistence and determination and resilience and things like that which is absolutely true but it was I was one of those kids that if I got my mindset on something I was going to do it regardless of what anybody said or or wanted me to do I would absolutely just be focused on that one thing and for me that focus it wasn't very clear, I must admit. It wasn't, I want to be the best actress in the world, you know, I like Nicole Kidman, whom I trained with. She was in the same classes at Johnny Young's with me. But I, it wasn't that clear for me. I wanted to be a working entertainer. 
That was like the biggest dream that I had. I, and it didn't matter whether I danced or sang or was in a, you know, doing trapeze in a circus or, or whatever it was. I just wanted the lights, the magic, the excitement, the fantasy. I wanted to live in the MGM musical. That's what I wanted to do secretly. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to live in that fantasy world that existed in my mind that I could provide for other people for a short period of time and then I would just, you know, retreat back to my cave. And, and that was fine for me. That worked really well. I'd go out with my entertainer's hat on and do that and be the entertainer for a little while and be the outgoing person that everyone thought I was mm -hmm. and then just retreat back into the cave and, you know, make my next show or whatever it is and I'd keep really quiet until I did the next time. But your resilience has been a big thing for me. I've had to go through so much to get there. So many knockbacks, so many rejections, so many hiccups and heartbreaks along the way, including being hit by a car twice in two years, breaking bones and throwing me on a complete curveball and not being able to dance or acrobat anymore and then having a baby at 18. I mean, I've had a lot of, you know, bumps in the road if you like but that didn't stop me it mm -hmm. would never have stopped me you could have cut off my legs I would have sang in a wheelchair mm -hmm. I mean I'm just one of those people <laughs> okay great so um you were talking about that you had uh the ability to be out and very be very public and and everybody thought you were an extrovert and but you still retreated back to your cave um Jack Canfield gave me a really excellent phrase for that because he says he's the same way believe it or not he said oh. that <laughs> he said that he is a situational extrovert and he can go out yes. and he can you know wow the entire world but then he wants to go back to his cave to renew and re restore himself so it sounds like you're one of those two Absolutely. And I, I absolutely understand that because I, I spent a week with Jack on a cruise ship years ago. And, it, and that very first cruise ship where I wrote a butterfly called Happiness, that's the cruise ship where I met Jack Canfield. And he brought, he commissioned the whole cruise ship for a week and brought, I think, 100 people with him and was teaching a university program that he designed called Life University with uh -huh. family and friends and everybody. And I was allowed to sit in on all the classes, of course, because I was the only entertainer on the ship and I was looking after their entertainment needs. And then one day he called me in my cabin at eight o'clock in the morning and he said, hi, Elisa, I've got a whole group of people here. Sorry to wake you up so early, but you're the only person who knows that special path all the way to the top of the mountain in Raiatea. So can, would you mind, you know, leaving us all up the mountain? And it was really lovely to get to know him that little bit more, but he's a very quiet person he's like me i'm chatty when i know people mm -hmm. but if i don't know people i am super quiet mm -hmm. but i'm one of those people that i think i've heard the term ambivert yes whereas you sort of live in this space where some of your life requires you to be an extrovert mm -hmm. but the rest of the time you're an introvert so you live in that mid space and right. a lot of entertainers do it's so funny you give them a microphone and their hat and their cane, they go on and they go, let me entertain you. And they're on for a little bit and then they go and be quiet again. And we need to renew. We need to renew from within. Mm -hmm. Whereas some people need to renew with other people. I don't do that. Yeah. I need to retreat. I also do. And so that's why, because I had asked Jack specifically, I said, how do you do this? Because for me, it's so difficult. And so he said, when he said he was a situational extrovert, for me, it turned something on. It's like, oh, 
oh, good, then I can do it because I can still yeah. have my quiet time to renew myself. So I, I was really grateful for that. So you said that you've had yeah. a lot of opportunities to be resilient, a lot of things that have happened to you. Um, tell us again, what happened when you discovered that you'd been hit by a car and you could no longer dance? What kind of went through your head? Yeah, that, that was a hard one because I didn't know at first that that, that was going to happen. I mean, I just thought I was going to jump, literally just jump back up and keep going. That was in my head. Mm -hmm. So when I was 14, I was running across the road late for a tap dancing class and I had a long train ride ahead of me and I didn't want to miss the train. So I ran without looking straight out of school. I suddenly looked to the left and I was hit by this oncoming car. I had no time. He had no time to stop, of course, because this kid runs out on the road in front of him, bang. Um, so I'd sustained a bunch of injuries in, in, like in my lower spine, which we didn't know at the time because it wasn't caught, but my leg was broken. So it was obvious that I couldn't walk. And um, anyway, long story short, after six weeks of my leg being lifted and I had a blood clot in my leg and all these complications, I was supposed to, during that time, be on a troop with my, our very first cruise ship gig and then on a TV show with this trip, this dancing trip that I was with in Johnny Young Talent School. And I couldn't make it. I was so angry with myself and so upset and so freaked out that I was missing all these opportunities. And so on the sixth week when I was told that I could stand and move and dance again, on that day we also had another cruise ship job booked and I said, come hell or high water, I'm going to be there and I will dance again. And I did. But unfortunately, the following year, I got hit by a car again. It was like, you know, if I didn't get the message the first time, maybe the second one would do it, right? So right. this time wasn't, wasn't my fault. I was walking on a pathway next to the road, but not on the road, and a car swerved off the road, hit me from behind on the back where I had, the, you know, the injury from the first time too, and slightly fractured a lot of my spine, which again wasn't caught until later, until 10 years later, and it showed up in an x-ray. But I was in so much pain and my hip was thrown out and all this stuff. And so that completely changed everything because when I turned back up to dancing class and, and acrobatics months later, suddenly I would get raging migraines out of the blue. And my back would be hurting so much that I couldn't do the things that I, I would normally do. I could still sort of do them, but if I did them sideways and twisted out of it in a weird way. So I had to change all these things that I did. And instead of doing a beautiful straight run, like round off, flip, 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 you know, on the, on the mat, like a, a gymnast would, suddenly because my spine was out and my hips were wrong and one leg was shorter than the other, I would veer off the mat. And then I would hurt my ankle and or fall on my head or you know, so it became very obvious very soon after my 16th birthday that that wasn't going to be a serious career for, for me anymore. I couldn't do gymnastics or acrobatics and I'd have to limit my dancing. So luckily around about that time, singing had become very much a, an interest for me and I started to really focus more on the singing and that's what really saved me and I, I picked it up more when I was 18 purely because it was easy mm -hmm. you could easily get singing gigs and it was easier to be a singer than an actor or a dancer because you just got more work mm -hmm. so it ended up being a logistical sensible decision in the long run too 
Yeah, that's really wonderful. It sounds like that you were very resourceful also to be able to yeah. find all of those different things. It's kind of like one door closes, you, you're immediately looking for the next door. I am. And when I actually see that the door might be closing, I'm already doing that too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I'm always thinking, as I said, nothing's going to stop me. I'll figure out a way to do it because I'm the entertainer. That's my role in life. That's what I used to think. I don't think that anymore, but that was my thoughts as a young child. So mm -hmm. I will find a way to keep going down that path. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, and in entertainment, there's always other doors. You have to be really resourceful. If you want to work full time in this business, you have to be super resourceful mm -hmm. and super resilient. Right. Otherwise, you just... You have to get a job, and yep. that's everybody's worst nightmare. <laughs> yes, I understand. So we're going to take a small break, and then please come back as we continue our interview with Elisa James, who is a holistic voice coach. We're going to be talking more about that part of it. And so we will see you in just a minute. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. And I'm interviewing Elisa James, who is a holistic voice coach, an actor, singer, author, speaker, presenter, and all around amazing entre uh, entrepreneur and entertainer. And so, Elisa, you were talking about um, the resilience and things that you've needed to use and also resourcefulness in your life. Um, but you said that you've not always been an optimist. How did you, uh, what kind of process did you take yourself through in order to be able to be an optimist? Uh, it's for me, it's a constant process in the works. It doesn't come naturally to me. Mm -hmm. And I was really surprised when I, when I read Martin Seligman's book, who's the, the father of positive psychology, that he was actually manic depressive and had anxiety and social anxiety and all these things, all the things that, that I thought that I suffered with as a young child and in my 20s as well is just being depressed and negative and pessimistic and, and always seeing the worst. And he actually had a very huge chunk of his career being that first before he learned optimism and then discovered positive psychology, coined the term, and now he has an entire university program teaching positive psychology to other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an amazing thing because that must mean 
that it's a mind shift that we can absolutely learn. Right. And mine was learned behavior, perhaps from my parents and my peers or my situation or whatever, but I learned it really well being a pessimist. <laughs> like I learned it super well. So getting out of that has taken me a long time. And I find myself, you know, moving back into that. So I have my, my tools from Jack Canfield and Tony Robbins and, you know, all the greats, Louise Hay, of course, and Wayne Dyer. I have my gratitude journal as a huge thing for me. I'm always writing down if I find myself in that spirally downward spiral mindset that I get at my gratitude journal and force myself to think of 10 things that I'm really super grateful for. And of course, there's so much, even being alive mm-hmm. or having two arms and two legs and being able to walk. I'm so grateful for all of that. Another huge thing for me, um, which I think was also Jack, was a victory journal. Mm-hmm. And I, I was always the sort of person that would look back on my year and go, I didn't achieve enough. I didn't work hard enough. I didn't get enough done. I didn't earn enough money. I'm always didn't, didn't, didn't. And so I would then force myself to write in this journal a whole page of things that I'd achieved that year that I felt really good about. And now I do that every single year because otherwise I get to the end of the year thinking exactly the same thing. I didn't get anything done right. until I seriously sit down and write them all out and go, oh, well, that doesn't look too bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've got all this stuff done. Mm-hmm. And another really great um, tool that I use with my students and myself all the time is called a focus wheel. And it's a very similar process where you draw a circle and you put the numbers around like it's a clock. And then if you're trying to think of something that makes you feel good about a new situation, so I'll give you an exact example so it's clear. I was writing a brand new show for a cruise ship at the time and it was called A Journey Down Baby Boomers Lane. Now, I'd been doing this other show which was very well received for five years that I was very comfortable in and I was very nervous about writing a new show thinking, I can't do it again, it's too hard, nobody will like it, I won't get standing ovations, I won't get booked, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. So I got my focus wheel out and I wrote that number one on the focus wheel, okay, when was the last time that you had a feeling that was really good, that you were proud of something that you did and you went, yes, I did it. And then I stayed with that feeling, had the thought of, okay, last week this happened. It made me feel good. I write it down. Then I wrote on those feelings back again to the previous time that I felt good about something, achieved something, and I did it. And I wrote that down until I got all the way back around the clock. And I thought, I've done this 12 times. I can do this new thing. I can get it done. I can write the show. It'll be okay. And so I used those tools consistently to shift my mindset. But I have to keep shifting it. it. It's not natural for me. I don't wake up, oh, it's on, oh, it's such a great day today. I don't do that. It's just not in my nature. So I have to wake up and do the work. I literally have to do the work every single day. Bring the joy. Look at my gratitude. Do my meditation. Go out and exercise. I literally do it mindfully every day. Thank you so much because so many people have a tendency to tell us that, you know, once you get into it, it'll be a habit. It won't be a problem. It'll just come naturally. So it's, I appreciate you sharing that it's not natural and it's not easy for you to do and that you have to force yourself to do it because a lot of people, when they get to that point, they give up. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. I absolutely know. But I also know from my experience of when I've had to turn it on for a particular reason. For instance, when I, when I had that scare with my husband, 
uh, and we'll talk about that maybe later, I woke up and had this whole other life in front of me that I didn't want. Mm -hmm. I would be crying and I I was depressed and I went into massive depression after I broke up with my husband and and thought the world was going to end and all the rest of it, right? So I was a mess. But then to show you how resilient you are and your brain is, I didn't miss a day of work. I turned up work, I mean coaching. Mm -hmm. I turned up for my students the very next day, put a smile on my face, put my makeup on, put my hair on, you know, did my I'm on stage, put it on, entertainer, it's time to put on the show, you know, lights, camera, action. Mm -hmm. And I taught and I didn't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. I just went blah, 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 did my thing. And then I went back and crashed into a heap again and crashed and burned. And the more that I crashed and burned, the more I cried the more I was depressed and it just perpetuated until I got up the next day and I had to teach, you know, five students and I had to put my makeup on and do my thing. And you know what? I felt better at the end of every day. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was amazed at myself how I could almost forget the depression that I was in because I brought that energy to that moment and was mindfully in the moment in that joy, in that giving, in that serving, in that higher vibration, I almost forgot that I was supposed to be angry and depressed and <laughs> suicidal. I almost forgot. You know, then I come home and start thinking about it again and, of course, then it'll all come back. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting how you can do that shift. I proved it to myself that it's possible. So now I have those, th- those triggers for me. It's like bring the joy. Come on, ramp up the energy, get into state. You can do this. Yes, that is very true. So you have been a voice coach for how long? Mm, A long time. Accidentally, it started when I was about 25. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be a voice coach necessarily because I was a singer and people would come up to me, oh, you've got such a beautiful voice. Can you teach my child? So that sort of went on for a few years. And so I did some teaching on the side, but not very seriously. Just taught what I was taught from my teachers and taught singing. So that was sort of a natural thing for me to do. But when I, when I started doing it very seriously, it wasn't until I'd had a 30-year career, I'd traveled all over the world, learned a really amazing amount of information as a, as a speaker, as a singer, as an actor, as a performer, and then came back to Australia in two th- 2014 and thought, you know what, it's, it's probably not the country for me to continue entertaining full-time because it's too hard. That's why I moved away. So now I will become a serious teacher, you know, at 50 plus. I have the experience and the knowledge and the expertise and all that. So what I should do is go back to school, learn more about the voice. So I did a master's degree in voice production. And that's when I really started to put my whole brain on about how do you do that? What's, what's the most interesting, interesting thing about voice? So what I did is completely different to everybody else is I looked at it in a holistic perspective and started teaching from that perspective. And that alone, if the word spiritual was added or the word holistic was added, people would flock to me because of their mindset issues or their physiological issues, their health issues, their anxiousness issues, whatever it was, they would come to me not necessarily because they wanted to be a singer, but because they wanted to break through some blockage that they had to self-expression. And and how, and how would be, you know about the blockages of the self-expression? Do you want to tell us about that? Oh, my God. Yeah. 
Oh, come on. I was so shy and so anxious for a large portion of my life that that was, that was so inhibiting. I, in, uh, yes, if I, I would go out if I was given a script, if I was given a song, if I was given a dance, it was all choreographed. I had my, um, my costume on, the lights, the camera action. I was fine, good to go because you've given me something to perform. Mm-hmm. something tangible that I can go out and go blah that's not my words that wasn't me expressing right. myself mm-hmm. it felt like I could do that because I'm just being a puppet you know give me money I'll sing and dance for you I was just like a little performing monkey but when it came to real life I wouldn't speak up for myself I wouldn't speak out I wouldn't I wouldn't dare to argue with people I would run away from confrontation I, the, the minute that I would have a fight with somebody or, or have a, you know, uncomfortable feeling, I would run away. I would run a million miles in the other direction. I would avoid any confrontation whatsoever and because I couldn't express myself without feeling inferior in some way. And that's what led me to all the self-study and the self-development and all that. Mm-hmm. So it took me a long time to really self-express. So the way that I started self-expressing from a young child was writing poetry or coming up with little songs and things like that. So in, in the end, that ended up being quite lucrative because I got a record deal in, in Europe for, for many years and toured writing songs and processing all my stuff, which was, which was very cathartic and very helpful. And now as an adult, yeah, now as an adult, I do that more, yes, with poetry. I do it with journaling, which is a huge creative outlet for me, mm-hmm. singing to express feelings and emotions and that's I didn't do that before and also teaching other people to speak up and speak out for themselves it's something that I had to learn later in life and was a very hard lesson the 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 lesson from anxiety to confidence it takes time yeah you had a health outcome actually because you weren't speaking your voice what happened to you yeah and I didn't realize that at the time, a long time ago when I was 25 and I was probably right in the midst of that worse negativity, bad lifestyle, bad thoughts about myself, all of that, I completely lost my voice. And now I knew Louise Hay, of course, and didn't look at it at the time, in one ear, out the other, didn't think about looking at the reasons why metaphysically or emotionally I would have lost my voice but it was a physiological problem that manifested and I had huge nodules on my focal folds and so they couldn't close. So I ended up speaking like that oh, pretty much all the time. Hard to sing that way. Yeah, it was pretty hard to sing. <laughs> so I could barely, barely croak through maybe five or six notes, and it, but it wasn't sudden. It happened over time. I would lose more range and more clarity and more range and more clarity until suddenly, you know, eventually it just was cutting out constantly. I'd go to a gig and within the first set of 45 minutes, and I was supposed to do four, the first set it would conk. And then my backup singer would have to suddenly grab the microphone and jump out the front and and sing all my songs. I'm so grateful that I had a a wonderful singer that was my best friend that could just step in and save my ass because I didn't know what to do. So I went to the first doctor and he said, yes, you've got huge nodules. You need to get them cut off. I didn't believe him and went to get a second opinion. He said, yes, you need to get them cut off. I thought, "Mm, okay, third time lucky. Went to a third one and he said, yes, you need to get them cut off. However, we could look at this from a different perspective. 
and you could go to a voice therapist and learn better vocal habits and rest your voice completely for six weeks. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ooh, okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that was the, the choice that I made. And I went on a completely different path. I had to literally shut my mouth for six to seven weeks. Now, keeping in mind that I have a very small child here under the age of eight mm-hmm. or six, I think he was at the time, and I had to come up with all these signals to tell him, you know, to come here or, you know, turn the taps to get in the bath or, or whatever it was. I had to come up with all these signals and written notes to give him instructions. And that was so hard. And also had to go on a pension for six weeks because I had no income. Right. I couldn't speak. I couldn't do anything. So I literally sat, you know, played guitar and journaled and, you know, did some of that and changed my life. So I had to change my dietary habits, my sleeping habits, my speaking habits, you know, the way that I ate, drank, smoked at the time, stopped all that. And then I had to change everything about the way I sang. Mm -hmm. And at the time, of course, I didn't even think about being a manifestation mm -hmm. of me, my inability to speak up for myself. That, I think, hit my mind about 20 years after the fact. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, at least the lesson was learned, though it took a while. So, um, so. What if somebody doesn't have any interest in singing or acting? Why would they hire a voice coach? Mm. And I, that is because they, they feel the need to share their message in some way. Mm-hmm. Most of my students are not singers and actors these days. Mm-hmm. Most of my students for the last five years have been either aspiring speakers people who are going through some sort of anxiety and cannot speak up for themselves and out for themselves because of trauma, incest or abuse or physical, emotional, sexual abuse. And so they're stuck in in the throat chakra area. And then the last group of people that I teach are corporate speakers and presenters. So one group is specifically to rehabilitate their voices and make sure that they have a good voice care regime so they don't lose their voice. That's, That's a big part of my business. And this middle part is my pet love because that's who I was, caught up with anxiety, caught up with trauma from, you know, abuse patterns and things like that, which we haven't talked about. But that was a huge issue for me. I shut, I shut down the throat chakra area, a, a big part of that early part of my life, because I was too scared to tell people what, were, what was happening to me. Mm-hmm. It was, I was too scared to speak up and out for myself. And so I just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and shoved it all down. And of course, and that leads to other issues as well. I had lots of reproductive issues and, um, you, know, you know, girls' problems and things like that. And of course, that happens when you've been abused. But right. when it comes up to here, to the throat, it gets caught and you can't speak up and out for yourself. So I had so much tension uh, around my throat muscles that that created a lot of tension, bad habits in speaking, bad habits in singing, and eventually led to nodules. But it's all because I didn't feel safe to speak up and out for myself. So that's a really huge passion for for me to teach other people to do that. And then aspiring speakers, they need to know where to start. Mm -hmm. They need to know, excuse me, they need to know how to use the instrument and sound passionate and confident and enthusiastic when they get out there so they don't look like a deer in the headlights or they've seen a ghost. <laughs> yes. 
and their voice doesn't shake and they don't go out of control or forget what they're saying. You know, there's, so there's a lot to voice coaching and it's got nothing to do with singing or acting. It's all to do with the physiology of voice and then the mindset behind the physiology is huge and we all need to break through those blockages. So would somebody hire you if they are just, um, if their voice shakes every time they need to make even a sales call, would that be something that would be helpful? Absolutely. That shows you that you have a lack of technique and a lack of control in your physiology somewhere because of a mindset. So we need to unpack the mindset, of course, and then deal with the physiology. Mm-hmm. But what I like to do is call it reverse engineering confidence. And that's my specialty because that's how it worked for me. When I discovered better voice skills, better breath management system, better support skills, learned more about my voice as an instrument, that gave me the confidence moving forward to do what I wanted. So I didn't start backwards by, come on, we can build your confidence and you'll get more confidence as you try. No, I gave really good skills so you had competence in the way that you can make sound which automatically builds you more confidence. So we build a bit of competence, you get more confidence. We build a bit more competence, you get more confidence. And that's how I work with all of my clients, regardless of whether it's just feeling safer in society to speak up and out for themselves or whether it's because they have a goal, a mission to share their message. That's really interesting because that's um, it seems like counterintuitive to start backwards doing the reverse engineering because most people just start with the um, I guess the pep talks or you know something like the the little rah rah talks oh yes come on you can do this and so it sounds like by reverse engineering it you're you're actually giving them tools to be able to um, to have that confidence. Yeah, absolutely. You need to know if as a speaker, when you stand there, okay, I feel that my legs are shaking, my voice is shaking, you know, my mouth gets dry and then suddenly I forget, what am I supposed to do? We all, when we don't have tools, we all beat ourselves up and then have a terrible time trying to get through it. And then we have a fear, of course, that's locked in by the amygdala going, oh, don't do that again. That was really scary. Let's avoid that situation. And so a lot of people will actually do that. They'll avoid the situation because they had such a bad time. But when you use the tools that I give you, you can stand there in confidence, learn how to breathe, connect your back pressure, use your resonance, use your mindset in a completely different way. And that propels you forward with your tools and techniques, knowing that, yes, it started, but you can get through it. Mm -hmm. If you do this, 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 you'll get through it. And at the end, then you go, oh, I did good. It worked out well. It's fine. And then you're building that strength. So next time you're going to do even better. So people who like to speak or maybe they don't like to, but they need to. And they find that um, after speaking for a few hours, their voice goes away. Why is that? I'd say... Number one, it's going to be a voice care and voice maintenance regime that you're not doing. Mm -hmm. I know that firsthand because that's what was going on with me years ago. First things first, you've got to be able to power your instrument with the right airflow, the right back pressure and the right support muscles. And if you're not trained in doing that as an actor and singer is, Mm -hmm. 
then you won't have any clue about what muscles you're meant to use. And so we tend to speak from the throat and push harder and be louder and, and sort of force through that tiredness instead of utilize or activate the muscles that we're meant to activate and deactivate the ones that are causing us stress and tension. Mm-hmm. And if you've never had voice training, how would you know how to do that? Right. It's some, like we all just get up and walk. We all just get up and speak. Nobody teaches us how to do these things. But when you get into trouble as a speaker, that's when you need to take a step backwards and say, okay, I need a little bit more, you know, I need some tools and techniques around this so that I don't get to a much higher level of performance like Tony Robbins coaches and I have to teach for eight hours, I'm going to lose my voice before eight hours. Right. And then they're supposed to teach for six days mm-hmm. at Unleash the Power Within. So when I teach, I teach a lot of Tony Robbins coaches. And in fact, I also teach Scott Harris, who's the, the lead speaker of Tony Robbins. And he does half of Tony's events, you know, literally the time on stage, half of the events, mm-hmm. every single event all over the world. And he's got to really maintain his voice super carefully. You have to work at the level of an athlete when you're at this level. You have to mind what you're speaking before, during and after the event, how Mm. much sleep you get, how much water you drink, how you're speaking on stage, how to monitor how many notes you're using, how loud, how soft, how high, how low, how much resonance you're adding, how much support system you're giving. It's like it's it's a mind game. You have to so, you have to be so focused and so disciplined around your instrument, so you can have it for life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we have a tendency to, like you said, you know, we just we just stand up and walk. We just talk. We just and we don't think of it as an actual instrument. So I really appreciate you pointing that out. So um, Elisa, tell me, how can people get in contact with you? Uh, they can just go straight to my website, elisajames.com. That's E-L-I-S-A-J-A-M-E-S.com. And there they can have a look through the programs that are available or grab a book or book in for a strategy session. Okay, so you are in Australia. And can, can you do work anywhere in the world? Can somebody yeah, do Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I have students all over the world and we, we work together like this via Zoom. Perfect. I just wanted to make that, sure I wanted to make sure our listeners knew that that was a possibility. So yeah, look, absolutely. I'd say that about ninety percent of my students attend classes via Zoom these days. Perfect. Okay, thank you so much, and thank you very much for coming to join us today. Is there any last thing that you would like our listeners to know? Yes, believe and listen to the small voice inside you that is telling you that you are meant for more, that you have a message to share because if that bubbling up is happening to you like it happened to me, that's telling you something. You can't ignore it. You just have to go with it and speak up and speak out and share your message. Thank you so much, Elisa. You're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm
I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.